In your copies of the scriptures, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me say that it is an encouragement uh, to see you all following along in the scriptures, whether it's in a paper Bible or on an electronic device. It makes no difference to me. Um, So long as you have a faithful copy of God's Word in the English language or whatever language you happen to speak, we'll get to the gift of tongues here this week or next week, so we'll talk all about languages, but um, I'm thankful that you have a copy of the Word of God, that God has preserved His Word, and it it's, does my heart good to see you following along as we go verse by verse, line upon line. Um, we do that because we believe that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. And so other forms of preaching are certainly helpful. And um, if you, like I do, love the Puritans and love the particular Baptists, you'll know that uh, sequential exposition was not their preferred method of preaching. And there is uh, some great power and great advantage to occasionally preaching a message that would be considered textual or topical. But we believe that the meat and potatoes of pulpit ministry should be the verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. And it forces us to preach through passages that we otherwise would never preach. I, I could give you a list. Many of you have been here uh, for sermons that I would never preach if I wasn't committed to going verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, I've never been asked to preach at a conference and thought to myself, you know what would be really great? A whole message on why Christians shouldn't sue one another in court. Uh, But yet, if you're going to preach through 1 Corinthians, you're going to preach messages on topics like that. And what you find is that when you preach messages on topics like that, there's almost always someone there who said, I needed to hear that. I'm going through a situation in my life and... Uh, this message that might seem obscure or might seem uh, off-topic or off-kilter, it it was very applicable to me because God knows what He's doing when He speaks to us in His Word. So we come now to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and our text will be verses 4 through 11. Verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 4. These are the words of God. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, To another, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. There are a few things in our day that raise more controversy, commotion, and contention than the subject of spiritual gifts. Conferences and crusades are held all over the world with the goal of unlocking the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the attendees so that they might know what their spiritual gifts are and be able to use them accordingly. Spiritual gifts are often elevated to an upper echelon level of Christianity. 
there's a popular false doctrine that teaches that you may be saved, but you haven't yet received the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit until a later time in your Christian life, at which point you will be baptized uh, with the Holy Ghost, and that spirit baptism will manifest through the exercising of spiritual gifts. This so-called doctrine of the second blessing would have us to believe that spiritual gifts are not common to all believers, but that only an elite group in the church of super-spiritual Christians who speak in tongues and heal and prophesy and perform other miraculous acts, they are the only ones that actually have the Holy Spirit and actually have spiritual gifts. But the result of this thinking places believers in bondage. They spend their lives agonizing and begging God to pour out this second blessing, and when He doesn't, they are left in despair. I have talked with Christians who professed to be saved and and believed they were saved, but they they had no joy in their Christian life. They had nothing but depression uh, because they did not understand if God loves them, why is He withholding His Spirit from them? They begin to doubt sometimes their salvation or the validity of their Christianity altogether. On the other hand, uh, that's one extreme, but on the other hand, There are those who seem to have no room at all in their theology for anything supernatural. Uh, There are those who, uh, they see the Holy Spirit at work in regeneration, uh, but they don't really have much room in their system for the ongoing, progressive, personal ministry of the Holy Spirit leading and directing and gifting throughout the Christian life. Uh, It's like they think that God saved them and One day he's coming back and in the middle they just read their Bible and go to church and something happens. (laughs) That something is the Holy Spirit. And it is a ministry in our lives that includes the giving of spiritual gifts. So how do we ensure that we are receiving the full counsel of God and not neglecting the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit while simultaneously guarding ourselves from the abuses and excesses and distortions. By the way, this question is really the question when it comes to so many theological topics. Uh, There is so often a ditch on both sides of the road, and the, the objective of the Christian is finding that biblical middle ground. Well, let me suggest two preliminary principles by way of introduction that will frame our study of the spiritual gifts. And a lot of what I will say, uh, both this week and next week, will be uh, preliminary and introductory, and I'll I'll explain why as we go along. But let me give you two principles that are very important uh, before we dive into this text. Number one, we must not exalt the gifts above the giver. We must not exalt the gifts above the giver. These gifts are called spiritual gifts for a reason. And that reason is that they are given by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead. We do not worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to worship God for who He is, first and foremost, not just what He does. 
When we praise and adore the gifts independently from the giver, what we're really doing is praising and adoring ourselves and what we can do. You say, what does that look like? How does that manifest? Well, let me give you an example, for instance. Recently, I heard a man testifying that he's been a believer for 30 years, but he never knew the joy of being a Christian until recently when he discovered his ability to exercise certain spiritual gifts. And for 30 years, he, he lamented and he wasted away his Christian life. And he wasn't baptized with the Holy Ghost. He, he was a, a terrible Christian who had no joy, who didn't serve the Lord. Oh, but now that he's got these gifts, now all of a sudden, uh, he's arrived. He's spiritual. What has he done? He's made the essence of his Christianity the supposed ability to speak in tongues and perform healings and do other miracles. He's basically saying, if I don't have that, I, I just assume not even be a Christian, exalting the gifts above the giver. And he's discounted the perpetual ministry of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says is at work in all believers from the time of their conversion to the moment they depart from the body to be present with the Lord. This kind of thinking tells you, well, you may be a Christian, but if you're not performing these eccentric gifts of the Spirit, then you're missing out. You're not as spiritual as me if you can't speak in tongues and prophesy and cast out demons. You're just a run-of-the-mill, blue-collar believer, but I am a superior level of Christianity. I, I'll never forget, it's comical, we laugh about it, but there's really this, this, this thinking that's so popular. When I was in Bible college, I worked a part-time job at Lifeway Christian Stores. And uh, Lifeway Christian Stores, for better or for worse, uh, really, a lot of it depended on where your store was located as to what books you sold. Um, and every now and then, we would get some really good stuff in. And one month, we had a sale going on on all things Spurgeon, which, of course, was exciting for me. I enjoyed that sale. And I remember a lady came into the store one day, and she said, what do you have on sale? And I said, well, have you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Great preacher in the 1800s, wrote many books. We got all of his books on sale. They're all $5. Check him out. And she said to me, with a straight look on her face, was Charles Haddon Spurgeon saved, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues? And I said, well, why don't you just buy his books and read it and find out for yourself, right? <laughs> but why did she ask that question? She asked that question because she had an imbalanced view of spiritual gifts. She wasn't concerned with the fact that he was a, a man of God who was called to preach and who was a student of the Word and who was a, a used pastor. No, all she cared about was can he perform one or two spiritual gifts? She wasn't interested in reading anyone else. <laughs> Do you see how idolizing the gifts above the giver quickly turns into self-worship and self-exaltation? And by the way, have you ever noticed that the gifts that are idolized and set up as the grand mark of spirituality are always those public ostentatious, flamboyant gifts like tongues and, and healings and so forth. In this chapter, later on in verse 28, Paul mentions the gift of helps. That spiritual gift of being a meek and humble supporter of others. 
When's the last time you heard somebody crying out, God, give me the gift of helps. I want to be a helper. Uh, you don't hear that. You go to crusades and, and, and you come away and you say, wow, Benny Hinn was up there casting out demons and speaking in tongues. When's the last time you've been to a church and you thought, wow, that church had the gift of helps. There's a bunch of helpers at that church. <laughs> Why? Because the gift of helps doesn't come with the mystical self-aggrandizement. In fact, the gift is actually the ability to serve with no praise and to find your contentment alone in God. I need that gift, by the way. Most of my motivation, a lot of my motivation is so dependent on the praise of man. Uh, Going to the conference next week in Elizabethtown, I I preached there in 2021, and I got a text uh, from someone who's planning to come next Saturday. They said, hey, I listened to your message from two years ago, and, and he said, I know you don't like to receive praise like this, but I wanted to let you know I appreciated your message. And the first thought that came to my mind was, I love praise like that. I, I do. I, I'm not going to be super spiritual and stand up here and tell you that I don't love to hear things like that. Of course I do. So maybe what I need to pray for is not some spiritual gift to lay hands on someone and have them flop around on the floor, but God, give me the gift of, of helps. Give me the gift of meekness. It goes back to our infatuation with the sensational, which as we saw last week, is really just paganism with a Christian vocabulary. We want an experience. So don't exalt the gifts above the giver. Be thankful for the gifts He gives but never let your worship be contingent upon them. God, I'm not going to worship you unless you give me this thing. It's blasphemy. Worship the Holy Spirit because He is God and He's worthy of our worship. Notice I said worship the Holy Spirit. He is God. Worship Him. Second principle. When it comes to the discussion of spiritual gifts emphasize what the Bible emphasizes, not what it doesn't. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe this will shock some of you. In all the passages where spiritual gifts are mentioned, the emphasis is always placed on the purpose of the gift and how we are to use them and not on the specific gifts themselves. In fact, The Bible does not even contain an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts, nor a systematic description of them. When a list of gifts is given, it is always given in passing to prove a larger point. As we'll see, this is certainly true of our text, but it is true of other texts as well. Uh, So many times when when you hear someone I'm going to preach on the spiritual gifts. What they mean is they're going to focus in on the gifts themselves and they're going to try to give an explanation, what the gift looks like, how you operate it, how you use it, why you need to beg God for it. But what we find in the Bible is is not very much information on the gifts themselves, but rather their role within the body of Christ. Let me just read a couple passages to you. Romans 12, uh, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. 
For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In Romans 12, Paul mentions the purpose of the gifts, which what? Is to minister to one another in the body. But he makes no attempt to give thorough definitions of the gifts that he mentions. And his point in Romans 12 is not to pedestal the gifts or the giftedness of the ones who possess them, but his whole point in Romans 12 is to exhort us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. This, this really shoots a hole in this idea that we have any right to walk around patting ourselves on the back or thinking we're better than others because, well, I have this gift and you don't. 1 Peter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Much like Paul, Peter is more concerned with the goal of spiritual gifts than he is with the gifts themselves. Peter tells us that the whole point of spiritual gifts is that God might be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. That's why God gives spiritual gifts. Not so uh, Brother Joe uh, can be well-renowned in the congregation as a prophet. That's not why he gives spiritual gifts. He gives spiritual gifts so that we may minister to one another and glorify God. So as we consider spiritual gifts, we must emphasize what the Bible emphasizes, and that is the purpose of these gifts and their role in the body. You know, sometimes God graciously omits certain details for our own good. What's an example of that? Well, nowhere in the Bible does God tell us the precise day upon which our Lord was born. Why doesn't He tell us that? Well, because He doesn't want us worshiping the day more than we worship the incarnate Son of God. For the same reason, I believe He doesn't give us intricate details and descriptions of the spiritual gifts. In fact, many of them are mentioned with no explanation whatsoever. He just says, if anyone has this gift, let him use it for the good of the church. But He doesn't say, now there is this gift, and here's what it is, and here's what it looks like. Why? 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 So that we don't obsess over the minute details of the gift and overlook its deeper purpose. So let us look now to our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Let me just tell you, this will be part one of a two-part message. I will not make it all the way through verse 11. Uh, In these eight verses, I have four overarching truths that I want to highlight for you. And we're going to, Lord willing, look at the first two today and finish the next two next Sunday. So I know you're all just so eager to get to this list in verse 8. I I preach this way so that you have to come back. (laughs) So let me give you all four of these points 
and we'll look at the first two today and, and the next two next time as the Lord allows. There's four things I want you to see. I want you to see, pertaining to spiritual gifts, number one, there is unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. Secondly, there is purpose in design. Thirdly, there is specificity in delineation. And fourthly, there is sovereignty in dispensation. Okay? So let's look. Number one, beginning in verse four, I want you to see, and this is a major theme when it comes to spiritual gifts, there is unity in diversity. Notice in these three verses how God stresses the word diversities. You will see it in all three verses. In the King James, you'll see the word translated as diversities in verses 4 and 6, and differences in verse 5, but in the Greek, it's all the same word that that God uses. He says in verse 4, now there are diversities of gifts. Verse 5, there are differences, or there are diversities of administrations. In verse 6, there are diversities of operations. Uh, This is a major theme in the entire epistle of 1 Corinthians, but in chapters 12 through 14 specifically. God has designed the church to be united as one body, but it is a unity that is accomplished through diversity. It's a unity accomplished through diversity. Notice also that there is another word that is emphasized and repeated three times in these three verses, and that is the word same. The word same. He says it is the same spirit. It is the same Lord. It is the same God. So what are you teaching, Paul? Are you teaching unity of the church or diversity in the church? Yes, Paul says. I'm teaching both unity and diversity because it is a diversity that produces unity. At first, this might seem odd. How can two things, diversity and unity, uh, that seem to be contradictory to one another, actually be mutually independent? Well, uh, let me give you two answers. Number one, You need to understand that there's more than one type of unity. Uh, There is unity of thought and unity of doctrine that diversity really isn't conducive to produce. Uh, That is, if we are all here and we all believe uh, totally different things about what the Word of God teaches and about what the Christian religion is all about, that's the kind of diversity that really doesn't produce unity. The kind of diversity that produces unity is ministry diversity. I hope you'll see what I mean as we go on in this text. But it's the kind of diversity that though we all have the same purpose and the same goal and the same passion and the same convictions, we all kind of approach it a different way. And we all have unique gifts, unique skills, unique personalities that all blend together and work together to form one body. That's what picture Paul is painting in this text. But there's an even greater picture that he paints in this text, because you'll notice in verses 4 through 6 that in addition to the church, there is something else characterized by a unity produced through diversity. What is it? Well, pay attention to the mention of Spirit in verse 4, of Lord in verse 5, and of God in verse 6. The Trinitarian formula in these verses is unmistakable. And I believe what Paul is teaching us is that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit each execute three distinct, diverse roles 
in the economy of redemption, yet as they carry out their unique functions, they come together to accomplish one ultimate purpose. They are united in this one accomplishment, which is the salvation of their people. It is the Father, not the Son, not the Spirit, who chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world. But it was not the Father, nor the Spirit, who died upon the cross of Calvary. And it is not the Father or the Son who apply the benefits of the Gospel individually through regenerating grace. Now, are you going to sit around and argue which person in the Godhead is the most important? Well, only if you're a heretic. But if you're orthodox, you'll say, no, 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 they're co-equal. It's just that they perform three different functions that are all, all harmonious to accomplish one goal. There's a diversity in operations and administrations of the Trinity, yet it is a diversity that produces unity. And Paul says that the economy of the Trinity in redemption is to serve as a model for our diverse functions in the body of Christ. We all do different things. We all have different gifts. We all have different skills. We all have different ways that we contribute to the body. That is not to say that one member is more important than any other member. It is to say that we have a diversity in function, and it is that diversity in function that comes together to unite us into one body. If we all did the same thing, we would accomplish nothing. If the Father had chosen a people, but there was no one to go and die for those people, no one would be saved. If the Son went and died for a people, but there was no one to take the benefits of His death and apply it individually to hearts, no one would be saved. The church functions best when all of us are performing our diverse functions to accomplish this one united goal. So notice what he says. In verse 4, let's look at this now, verse by verse. He says, Now there are diversities of gifts. That is to say, all Christians have spiritual gifts, but all Christians do not have the same spiritual gifts. There are a few lists of gifts in the Bible. Again, none of them are exhaustive or complete. So if you're trying to discern your spiritual gift... Think about this. If you're trying to discern your spiritual gift and you go looking through the New Testament for lists of spiritual gifts, you're only going to come up with about a dozen different gifts. I don't believe that those are the only spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is simply any quality and empowerment that the Spirit gives to Christians which enables them to be effective members of Christ's body. That's what a spiritual gift is. In the broadest sense, anything that the Spirit grants to you for the serving of others and the glory of God in your Christian life is your spiritual gift. The more diversity that a church has in the domain of spiritual gifts, the stronger it becomes in its ability to carry out the work that Christ has given it to do. Think of a carpenter and his toolbox. An effective carpenter will have many tools that enable him to do many things. And he needs these diverse tools to accomplish one united project. And he can't build a house with just a tape measure, a hammer, and a skill saw. A hammer is really great at driving nails, but it's really awful at cutting wood. 
So what does he need? He needs a hammer and a saw. He needs both of these tools or both of these gifts. Now, are we going to sit around and argue, well, I think a hammer is a better tool, or I think a saw is a better tool. Again, you see how foolish that is. They're both equally necessary to perform their diverse duties to accomplish the one goal. And so it is with spiritual gifts. He says, there's a diversity of gifts, but it's the same spirit. Uh, The reason why we cannot exalt one gift over another is because all gifts are given by the same spirit. Spirit. Uh, Are we going to say that uh, this gift of God is better than this gift of God, or that gift of God is better than that gift of God? So he says, no. There's a diversity of gifts, and this is by God's design. You shouldn't be seeking the gift that someone else has. You should be content with whatever gift it is that God has given you. Then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, and there are differences of administrations. Not only is there a diversity in gifts, but there is also a diversity in how those gifts can be employed in the church. If a member of the body possesses the spiritual gift of giving that is mentioned in Romans 12, it might mean that they are led by the Spirit to be financially generous in an extraordinary way. Or it might mean that they are giving of their time and their energy. Or the gift might manifest itself in their willingness to yield up their own possessions to those who have greater need of them. You see, all of these are different manifestations of the one spiritual gift of giving. If a member of the body has the gift of teaching, they might exercise this gift in the pulpit on a Sunday. They might exercise this gift Wednesday night in a class. They might exercise this gift at a nursing home or a jail ministry. But it's all an expression of the one gift. This is why I've always said that if the Lord raises up multiple preachers in the church, the question is not why do we need them, the question is why did God send them? Because God has given these gifts to the church, and so we should expect avenues for the church uh, to, to allow those gifts to be demonstrated and exercised. Again, it's one of the reasons why when someone comes to join this church, we always ask them, what do you believe your spiritual gifts to be? And if someone believes that God is leading them here and they have a spiritual gift, then we should expect that gift to be exercised in the body. God doesn't give us our gifts to hide them under a bushel. Notice he says, but the same Lord. Diversities of administrations. So you exercise them in all of these different ways, but it is the same Lord who oversees and manages and governs the administration of the gifts. See, Christ is the head of His church, and we are the members of His body. The Spirit gives our particular giftings, and Christ tells us how we are to use them in His service. To use another analogy, some of you will will understand this very clearly, He is the general and we are His soldiers. And He assigns us our MOS in His army based on the gifts that have been given to us by His Spirit. And you know that if a platoon is going to function effectively, when the general gives orders, you don't say, well, I just don't feel like doing that, or I don't know if that's my particular gifting. No, you just you do what the general says. And when you do what the general says, 
Not only do you find that you function effectively, uh, but the great thing about our spiritual gifts is that with the call and with the commission comes the desire. Uh, can any of you testify that you, you, you saw an opportunity to serve or you saw uh, potential for something that could be done and you were unsure about it and you just didn't know, uh, perhaps uh, serving within the church or which church you were going to serve at or, or some spiritual thing that you were considering doing for the Lord and you were just unsure, you didn't know if that was your calling or if that was going to uh, be the thing that God would lead you to do, but you said, well, I know that I'm a Christian, I know I'm called to serve, so I'm going to step out and I'm just going to do it. And then when you gave yourself to it, you realized, I love this. I enjoy this. I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing this. Maybe you realize... I was right. That wasn't really for me. I need to find something else. But you see, what I'm telling you is, you don't sit on your thumbs and, and pray and discern and think, well, what is my spiritual gift? What is my spiritual gift? No, you serve. You serve. And He'll reveal to you what that gift is. That, that really brings up and answers the important question of how we determine what our spiritual gifts are. The wonderful thing about these gifts is that God doesn't give us gifts that we hate exercising. Discerning your spiritual gift is not this mysterious process where you wait for some big eureka moment when God announces to you what your gift is. You know, in some circles, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes when I say this, but you hear testimonies of men giving their quote-unquote call to preach. And they, 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 I mean, they make it sound like they had to be lassoed and hogtied and drug into the pulpit. Well, I, I felt like God was dealing with my heart, but I, just, I didn't want to preach. I said, no, I'm not going to preach. I'm running from it. I'm running. I mean, I've heard 30-minute long testimonies about, uh, and then I, you know, I moved away from the church and I went out to China and God tracked me down. And it's like, I, I'm not going to, to discount what someone says as their testimony. And I'm not going to say that, uh, that there's not an initial fear and perhaps anxiety and nervousness when you think about entering into the ministry, but when God gives the gift of preaching and teaching, He gives the desire to do it. You discern your spiritual gifts by serving in the body. I love the, the story that Vody Bauckham gives about his call to preach. When he said he felt like God was dealing with him about preaching and he felt like he was being called to preach, so he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I think God wants me to preach. I think I might have the gift of preaching. This pastor pulled out a calendar and opened it up and said, Okay, two months, second Sunday of the month, the whole church is going to find out if you have the gift of preaching. But there was the desire there. The desire there. Christians that have the spiritual gift of teaching, enjoy teaching. Christians that have the spiritual gift of serving, enjoy serving. Christians that have the spiritual gift of helps, enjoy helpings. Christians that have the spiritual gift of giving, enjoy giving. All Christians have spiritual gifts, and all Christians are called to function as active members of the body of Christ. So don't sit around wondering what your particular gift is. Just find something that needs doing and do it. And you will be surprised at the joy that will come from your service to the Lord. One of my favorite phrases in the Old Testament was spoken by Abraham's servant Eliezer in Genesis 24-27 when he went to go find a bride for Isaac. And he gives the story of how he found Rebekah. And he said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. It's a beautiful phrase. 
Uh, and so I would just say to you, if you're wondering, well, what is it really that God wants me to do? What spiritual gift do I have? How can I serve the church? Just get in the way. You know, just, just find you something to do for God and do it. And He will lead you as you serve Him. Your Christian life and your church life will be much more fulfilling when you stop asking, what can the church do for me? And you start asking, what can I do for the church and the Lord? Notice he goes on and he says in verse 6, and there are diversities of operations. Now, the word for operations is difficult to define and difficult to translate because it has a, a, a Greek, it's a Greek word that kind of has a duplicity of meaning. And I really believe that Paul in this verse is kind of using two meanings at the same time. The New King James and the ESV use the word activities. The New American Standard Bible uses the word effects. But the idea is this, as we faithfully exercise our spiritual gifts in the body, we will all produce different effects or different results. That's the idea behind this word. So there's a diversity of outcome, if you will, as we exercise our spiritual gifts. Because these results vary in their quantity and in their degree. Okay, uh, When we see a Christian that is being used in some great and remarkable way, we have the tendency to think, oh, well, that must mean that they are more gifted or maybe they have better gifts than others. But what we're doing is we're evaluating spiritual things with a very earthly, worldly criteria. If one man pastors a large church, for instance, and has a ministry that reaches many, many people, does that necessarily mean that he is more gifted than someone else? Or does it simply mean that God is free to give gifts to whomever he pleases and use whomever he pleases? When it comes to spiritual gifts, we are not to concern ourselves with tangible results, but with faithfulness. Your, your spiritual gift, it's not about what kind of outcome, how, how much can I produce it's about how faithful am I to serve? How faithful am I to serve? If you have the, if you have the gift of encouragement and the gift of compassion and you, you are talking with someone or working with someone that is down and that is afflicted and you're trying to encourage them and you're trying to help them and you're trying to love on them uh, but they just refuse to be comforted, don't think, well, maybe, maybe I just don't have this gift. When it comes to spiritual gifts, it is not results, but faithfulness that we should concern ourselves with. It was MacArthur who said, and he said it primarily about preaching, but I think it's true for any service we do for the Lord. You focus on the depth of your ministry, and God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. I'm convinced that on that last day, those closest to the throne will not be the famous preachers and missionaries of church history. It will be those dear, precious saints who had gifts of encouragement and intercession and giving and hospitality and serving. And they exercised those gifts in relative obscurity, never receiving in this life the praise and, and the rewards uh, that they should have received because they wanted to serve the Lord more than they wanted to win the praise of man. Verse 6, Paul is striking against Corinthian elitism. The problem with the Corinthians is what? They, they were just having this big contest. Church was a talent show for them. 
Who's the most spiritual? Who's the most gifted? Who's the smartest? Who's the wisest? And Paul says, no one can boast in their giftings or pride themselves in their accomplishments in the body of Christ. Why? Verse 7? Or verse 6? Into verse 6? Because it is the same God which worketh all in all. The, the same God uh, that, that propels a, a, a man like Charles Haddon Spurgeon to pastor the largest church in England and to, to convert, use him to convert thousands of people in the 1800s is the same God who works the same gift into some country preacher that preaches to a church of 15 people for 15 years. The same God giving the same gift. The, the same God that, that gives the gift of giving to someone who is financially blessed and wealthy and gives hundreds of thousands of dollars to their church is the same God who gives the gifting to that single mother working a, a minimum wage job, but she sacrificially gives of the little that she has because she wants to contribute to the work of Christ. It's the same God who works all in all. And just as our gifts do not come from ourselves, but they are given to us by the Spirit, so too is it the power of the Spirit that enables us to exercise our gifts. He is the one that determines the measure of our gifts and their results. Spiritual gifts are divinely energized. And every time we exercise our gifts, we must remember that we are entirely dependent upon the Spirit of God to empower us to use them effectively. The minute we begin to trust in our own skill or in our own abilities, we are sure to fall flat on our faces. Uh, again, I, I think of the, the anecdote that Spurgeon used to tell as, as he would walk up the stairs to his pulpit. He had a pulpit that every pastor dreams of having, right? He's got this big pulpit up, up in the balcony. It's, a, it's actually a little room that he walks into, and he has a, a spiral staircase that he walks up to get into his pulpit. And he said, every time I would take a step, I would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit as he walks up to preach. Because he didn't trust in his gifts. He didn't tell himself, well, I'm Charles Spurgeon. I am a gifted speaker. I am one of the greatest orators, theologians of my generation. Of course I can preach. Of course I can give a great sermon. No, he said, I need the Holy Spirit to energize and empower me to use my gifts. But it's not just the gift of preaching. I guess I use that as an illustration. It's the one I identify with the most. (laughs) But whatever your gift is, you need the Holy Spirit to help you, to enable it. Uh, Brother, if you're you're gifted and helps, and you're one who comes to the church and who, who works around the building and who labors and gives of your time, you need the Spirit to help you do that. Or you'll get burnt out, or you'll get discouraged. Uh, ma'am, lady, if you're one who has helped when crisis has come and you've, you've opened your home or you've prepared meals to serve others, you have the gift of serving, you need the Spirit to help you to exercise that gift. In our flesh, we can't do anything. It's got to be Him that does it through us. And really, that's what a spiritual gift is. It's not some talent or skill that you naturally possess. It is a channel through which the Holy Spirit uses you to minister to others. You can't effectively serve. You can't perseveringly intercede in prayer. You can't joyously give of your money and your possessions. You can't compassionately encourage unless the Spirit of God is at work within you. 
On the other hand, you will be amazed at just how powerful the Spirit is in overcoming your natural fears, your natural intimidations, your natural selfishness, your insecurities, your desire for comfort, how He overcomes that and stretches you to serve Him. What a great thing it is to be used of God. And when we do effectively use these spiritual gifts, let us remember that it is the giver of the gifts who is ultimately to be thanked and praised. To quote Paul from earlier in this epistle, what did he say to the church? For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? May we learn to praise God for what He's doing through us, to take His glory and rob Him of the worship that is due to Him alone. When we understand the nature of spiritual gifts, we see that it's the same God, the same Lord, and the same Spirit who both gives and empowers spiritual gifts. And as we are faithful to exercise the many diverse gifts that we have all been given, and we labor together for the unity of the body, then we come together to use those gifts in fulfillment of what Christ has called us to do. Uh, I am so thankful when I think about this congregation and the diversity, the, the, the God-given diversity that God has placed in this assembly. Some of you knew it, some of you didn't know it, but many of you moved across the country to be led to this assembly. And you have all different backgrounds, and you have all different walks of life. Uh, there are some of you who this is the first and only church you've ever been a member of. There are some of you that have been in evangelical churches for 35 years. Uh, there are some of you that... <laughs> have gifts that, that complement others and others that have gifts that complement others. We thank God for that. I'm thankful that this church is not a cookie-cutter church where everybody just looks the same and talks the same and acts the same, but that God uses our diversity to produce unity. Well, secondly, I want you to see, that was unity in diversity. I want you to now see purpose in design. We'll look at verse 7 to close. Notice he says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Verse 7 is absolutely critical in understanding the function of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. You could even argue that this verse contains the main idea that the rest of this chapter seeks to explain and defend. And there's just three core truths from this verse that I want you to see and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to see spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Spirit Himself. That's what they are. He says, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, Spiritual gifts are not a display of ourselves and our talents. Uh, They are not opportunities for us to showcase how valuable we are to the church. Uh, They are not performances for us to gather the applause of others. Your spiritual gifts are displays of the Holy Spirit ministering to members of the body through you. Listen, if you want to seek a visible, tangible manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the church, don't look for smoke. Don't look for stardust to fall from the sky. Don't look for a cloud to descend upon the congregation. The Holy Spirit is not in these trivial spectacles. 
If you want to see the Holy Spirit as He ministers in the church, then you will see that manifestation of the Spirit when you see a member of the body selflessly give of themselves to help someone else. You will see a manifestation of the Spirit when you see a member of the body open and expound the Word of God and teach the congregation. You will see a manifestation of the Spirit when you see a member of the body go out of their way to encourage someone in a difficult situation. You will see a manifestation of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit uses one believer to minister and bless another believer. That's what spiritual gifts are. When you go up to a brother and you put your arm around them and you say, I love you, I've been praying for you, that is the Holy Spirit at work in the congregation. Because, let me let you in on something, in and of myself, I have no love and I'm very unlovable. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and He begins to work in our hearts and He knits us together, we're able to be united in a love for one another and a love for Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go out to Bethel Hillsong where they put gold confetti in the AC unit so that it can spray through the congregation and then the pastor can say, look, the Holy Spirit's here. I wish I was making that up. I want the real thing. I want the real thing. And we have the real thing when we exercise our spiritual gifts in the body in love and service to one another. We'll get to chapter 13. I mentioned love. You said, what does love have to do with anything? Let me let you in on a very profound exegetical insight from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13 comes right in between chapters 12 and 14. You have to go to seminary to learn that kind of stuff. But, But what is chapter 13 all about? It's about love manifesting itself in the body through the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul says, you all are, are, are so selfish and self-seeking and you're trying to use these spiritual gifts as opportunities to showcase how great you are. The, the Corinthians were the type of people that woke up and looked in the mirror and sang how great thou art. And Paul says, I, the Spirit has given you these gifts so you can display your love for one another and serve one another. That's why you have gifts. The Holy Spirit is seen as we exercise these gifts towards one another. Second core truth I want you to see from verse 7 is that spiritual gifts are possessed by every born-again member of Christ's body. Everyone. Notice he says in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. Uh, Let me say this as clearly as I can. Vehemently reject any theology that tells you that God has saved you, but you don't have the Holy Spirit until you've prayed and begged and cried and rolled around, and then maybe perchance you'll receive the Holy Spirit and then have spiritual gifts. Under the new covenant, all members of the body have spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same gift. We don't all have the same measure of degree in our gifting. Some of us have had more time to cultivate our gift Some of us are more aware of what our gift is. But if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, guess what? His gifts come with Him. He indwells you and He gives you ways to serve Christ. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given gifts to use for His glory and His service. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul tells Timothy 
that he is to stir up the gift of God that is in him. Uh, Our gifts, they need to be cultivated. We need to work on them. But if we're in Christ, then his gifts are in us. Every member of the church has a unique gift that has been imparted to them by God for service in his body. That is why we grieve when there's a member of the body who's not faithful. That is why we grieve when there's a member of the body that is distancing themselves and withdrawing and and, and is departing from us. Because they have a gift. And God's given them that gift to exercise here in this body. And that's why we rejoice when God brings uh, new believers our way. Because they too have gifts that God has given them. and, And as members of this body, they're to use those gifts in service of the body. But every member has these gifts. Listen, there is no such thing as a useless or invaluable member of the church. Don't think, well, I'm not a pastor, so what do I have to offer? Don't think, well, I'm a new believer, what do I have to offer? Don't think, I'm a woman, what do I have to offer? You have spiritual gifts, and we need you to use those spiritual gifts. And we need the Holy Spirit to to fill you and indwell you and empower you to use those spiritual gifts. If that spiritual gift is a desire to come to church 10 minutes early and take out the trash before service starts, then exercise that gift. Use whatever it is that God has given you and whatever desire you have. Everyone here who is a believer in Christ has spiritual gifts. Third core truth. Spiritual gifts are for the common good of the whole body. For the common good of the whole body. Notice how he ends verse 7. He says, Manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. To profit with all. Again, this is some difficult language here. The Greek word used for profit is difficult to accurately translate with just one English word. Uh, Sometimes the word means to profit or to advance the good. Uh, But other times, the word means to bind together or to come together as one. Again, here in this verse, both meanings are are being employed. Uh, Spiritual gifts are given to profit the whole church as one body that has come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the word for profit in verse 7 is the Greek word symphéron. Symphéron. It is where we get our English word symphony. It's the the root word for the word symphony. (laughs) What a beautiful illustration of spiritual gifts in the church. I used to play in a stringed orchestra. I started playing viola. I moved to violin. And in a stringed orchestra, in a symphony, you you don't come together to learn your part. No, you're given your part. You're expected to learn it independently. And then when you come together, you need to know your part so that you can all play as one symphony. But the difficult part of that is when you're at home trying to learn your part, you can't hear the others. You don't know what the other parts sound like. And sometimes, especially if you're playing viola, your part doesn't sound like much of anything. It's just a bunch of helping, assisting notes. It's not the lead part, like the first violin is the lead part. But second violins and violas and even cellos, a lot of times they play supporting roles. And sometimes you're at home and you're, you're playing uh, four bars of whole notes and you're like, what in the world am I doing with this part? I don't see how this is going to produce the final product. But what happens? You learn that part. You exercise that gift. 
you come together with the rest of the orchestra and you play your part and they play their part and she plays her part and he plays his part and you produce this beautiful symphony. So it is with the church. If you're apart from the local assembly, if you're apart from other believers, your spiritual gift is useless because it wasn't given for you. Your part was not given for you. Your part was given to complement another's part. By itself, it doesn't sound all that spectacular. By itself, sometimes we don't even understand how it is a gift. But when we come together, and when we use them together, it produces something that is truly beautiful and of the Holy Spirit. Our gifts operate best when we exercise them alongside others who are using their gifts in the body as well. When we all come together with our unique parts, our diverse gifts, and we employ them in the body, the result is a manifestation of the Spirit that promotes the unity of the body and it advances the cause of Christ through His church. As I close, let me share with you what Calvin said on 1 Corinthians 12. It's so wonderful. He says, The Spirit of God, when He enriches us with any gift, unlocks His treasures for the purpose of manifesting to us those things that would otherwise have been concealed and shut up. When you're not here, or when you are here and not exercising your spiritual gifts, the whole body is missing out. So let me encourage you. Serve Christ. Serve the church. Serve your brothers and sisters. Whether it be in a, in a way that is more public and, and open, or whether it be in a way that nobody knows about but you and the Lord. And as you exercise your gifts, He will bless it. He will empower it. Well, next time we'll consider the gifts that are enumerated in verses 8 through 10. But I wanted to, to break this up because we need to study that list in light of its overarching biblical context. In the same way that the Holy Spirit did not come to draw attention to Himself, but to glorify Christ, so too are spiritual gifts given not to garner praise on behalf of the gifts or to the one who exercises the gift, but to the praise and glory of God. And I'm thankful for the gifts that God has given to this church. I pray that He gives more gifts. I pray that He increases our giftedness and that we all use those gifts to serve one another and to serve Him for His honor and His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You in Jesus' name for Your goodness to us. And Lord, we thank You that not only have You saved us from sin, but You have sent Your Spirit to indwell our hearts, to encourage us, to gift us, to empower us, to enable us to use these gifts. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us all to, to recognize and understand what our spiritual gifts are, that we might use them effectively in the church, and that we might be servants of one another. What a testimony that is. I pray that if someone comes and visits this church, they won't just go away saying, oh, well, that was a church that had sound doctrine or that was a church that followed a, a, a strict principle of worship. But I hope they will go away saying, that's a church that really loves one another and really desires to serve one another. This will only be true, Lord, if your spirit uh, fills us as a body and enables us to serve you. So would you give us the spirit Fill us with the Spirit. Enable us to exercise our gifts for the good of God, for the good of the church, for the good of one another. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.